Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. This week on the PR Moment Podcast, in the latest of our Life Story series, I'm pleased to welcome Chairman of the PR Office, Shimon Cohen. The PR office was founded in 2004, has a fee income of about £2.5 million and 15 employees. The business has a range of clients across a broad range of sectors and Shimon has some interesting views on how he sees the scope of modern public relations. Shimon, welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Thank you very much, Ben. Great to be here. If you enjoy the show, please do look back at the catalogue that we've got of the PR Moment podcast that you can see on the homepage of the site. There are now quite a few to choose from. And I should say thanks very much to our podcast sponsors, the PRCA, who, as uh, you may know, are celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. Now, Shimon, before you worked in PR, you, you were executive director to the chief rabbi, which sounds to me like quite a fun job. Um, wasn't it a better job than working in public relations? <laughs> well, it was certainly a fascinating job. I mean, the, 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 the chief rabbi in the United Kingdom incorporates the Commonwealth countries as well. So uh, there was an enormous amount of travel to some very exciting places. Um, but essentially, it wasn't quite before I was in PR because the work that I was engaged to do was not a sort of chaplain role to the chief rabbi, who is the Jewish equivalent of the Archbishop of Canterbury. The job that I was brought in uh, to do was to, to, to convey, help him convey his message beyond just the Jewish community because he had a faith message which was appropriate for that time. We're talking now about the, the 1980s, the Thatcher years, um, and during that time, the um, uh, the government led by Margaret Thatcher was having a very difficult relationship with the Church of England, um, and a different moral voice, the voice of the then Chief Rabbi Lord Jacobowitz, uh, became the voice to listen to. Okay, so I'm just intrigued. Was it looking back in hindsight? Was it a public relations job, or did you consider it to be? public relations in its broadest sense well, I, at the funny. time. I mean, I, I had no idea what public relations was. I'd never okay. heard of it. Right. Um, it wasn't what I was engaged to do. I was engaged to work at the office of the chief rabbi. Exactly. But Lord Jakubowicz um, had views on, for example, a nuclear disarmament that was very much in vogue at that time. And um, the way to convey the news was not just through the, the Jewish Chronicle newspaper or the Jewish news newspaper, which published once a week. And we're talking about pre-internet days. Yeah. So unless you had to wait every week to get your message out, you had to use other newspapers. And frankly speaking, it was pretty obvious to me that Jews read the Evening Standard and Times as much as they read the Jewish Chronicle and the Jewish News. So I started to use those newspapers um, to help him get his message across and, of course, TV news. Um, So this was well before rolling news. But it was a better way for my uh, purposes uh, of just than just using our own community media. So I sort of fell into public relations because it was made very clear to me that the chief rabbi wanted to, and forgive the pun here, relate to the public. Yeah. Okay. So you saw, you saw it working and thought, I tell you what, I'm quite good at this. It seemed Maybe to work. I should go and build a career in it. Well, I didn't um, quite know about that, to be right. honest. Actually, that 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 isn't really what happened. I. I um, um, was coming to the end of the 1990s. Lord Jakobowitz was scheduled to retire. There was a statutory retirement age. And um, somebody I was very close to um, at the time, uh, um, uh, Lord Young of Grafham, um, said to me, you should go meet my friend Tim Bell. <laughs> now, I hadn't met Tim. I 
Tim Bell. I didn't know who he was. I, I, I had absolutely no idea. And I did something that would now, my children wouldn't even understand what it meant. But I actually went to a library and I took out a book called The Brothers. And it was the, uh, written by a man called Ivan Fallon, who was then the finance editor of the Sunday Times. And it was the story of the Saatchi and Saatchi, the two brothers Saatchi, and of Tim Bell's role in that. And that's how I learned who this man was, right. the man that I was going to go and see the following night. So I he read s- the book and went to see that, him. sat in that very chair for any, any listeners ah. who want to hear to uh, a podcast a little while back with Tim Bell. Right. Um, and, yeah, in the pre-show chat, you talked to me about how you went to see Tim Bell as, a, I suppose we call it an interview, do we? Um, and you ended up getting a job at Bell Pottinger. Just, mm. just talk to me. Well, it was, it was quite a meeting. fascinating occasion and, and something I talk about a lot at, at, and I remember very, very fondly and very well. I, I, I um, turned up at this um, very smart office in, in uh, Hartford Street in Mayfair and was shown up to the, uh, the top floor and there uh, on the telephone uh, with, in one hand and with a cigarette in the other hand with his uh, shoeless socks only feet on the table uh, was this man called Tim Bell who gesticulated to me to sit down and I, I was listening to this fascinating conversation and there he was doing media relations and now when you look back on it um, you see the man who was the head of Bell Pottinger, the most famous person in the PR world who was doing media relations and probably still does. I know I do. And that's what I learned from him. Yeah. Um, and we sat there and, and uh, he said to me, uh, he said, so uh, David Young said I should see you. Tell me what you do. I said, well, you know, you're a very busy man. I appreciate that. And thank uh, you for uh, seeing when me. when was this? Just remind This was 1990 or 1989. Okay. Yeah, 1989. Yeah. Um, I said, well, you know, David Young I mean, has told you what I do and, 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 and I'm, I'm more than happy to elaborate, but I'd really love to hear what you do because – I don't know what you do. And he told me what he did. And it was a fascinating, uh, not a conversation as such, a sort of monologue for a very, very long time. But after it, I said, wow, that's sort of what I do. And I had no idea, actually, that what I was doing on a day-to-day basis, helping the chief rabbi communicate his message to his public, I didn't know that it was a profession called public relations. And he then said to me, so you better start working here then. And so I did. And you were there for for, for how long? Fourteen years. Fourteen years. Like? Fourteen years. Um, and I get the sense. Well, that was clearly the job that that sort of um, made you. I don't know. Made made, made your career in, in in public relations, where you learned no a lot. No question. Um, you were there for, as you say, fourteen years. Well, what did you take away from that? So there were a number of things, good and bad, that I took away from it. Now it's really important uh, for me to to. Um, Emphasize that, of course, I left Bell Pottinger 14 years before the um, scandal that, that, that brought it down. Um, yep. So I have nothing to do with that at all. But during those 14 years, this was the heyday of the PR industry led by Tim Bell. It, it allowed us to uh, uh, represent some of the most important companies um, in the country and indeed globally. Um, we traveled the world advising uh, companies in different parts of the world. And what I really took out of it was a very straightforward, clear understanding uh, of what the industry is and remains so today. If you want to get your message across, you need to understand essentially three things. Where are you now? Where do you want to be? And how do you get there? And I remember once that Tim Bell wrote it on a, on a piece of paper um, in, in some meeting where he was a bit irritated with everybody and, 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 and sort of wrote it down saying, this is what, this is all you have to do and wrote it there. And, and, and um, I sort of have that piece of paper and it's, um, it's, 
for me, it's quite important to not to lose sight of what the real issue is, whether you have um, new media, um, which in, 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 in the 1990s, new media essentially for a PR company was TV. Uh, nobody did it. And then suddenly TV and radio broadcast media became a separate discipline. And now there's uh, online media and social media. And, and uh, all of these things uh, are, are just different ways of communicating the same message. And you need to be master of all of that. So what I learned was use the media media to hit your message. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's We'll come on to, to, to Bell Pot Gate a bit in a minute. But the it's a good point you raised there that I think it was Chadlington. It might have been. It was a speech he gave once. Um, said that everybody in, in the in the room. I think it was a PR. It might have been a, a PR Week Awards. I think said that everyone in that room earned, earned more money because of, of 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 what Tim Bell did in in that 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 heyday of Bell mm-hmm. Pottinger, as you say. And it is a shame that that legacy has been. Uh, I need to choose my words carefully, but tainted. Um, through, I mean, let's let's not get into the faults of of what happened um, with, with the South Africa uh, scandal at this point, but but it, it is a shame that that happened, isn't it? Because it, Look, it, it, it it was a trailblazer for the rest of the sector. There's no question; it's, it, it is a great shame. Um, it really is. But I I would maintain that that. Um, uh, and not that I know anything at all about it. As I said, I'd left 14 years prior to it. But mm. I don't believe that it tainted Tim Bell's reputation. I believe it tainted the reputation of the company that he was really not really part of anymore. And there is, of course, the name thing. But one should never lose sight of the fact that what Tim Bell did um, in, in, in effectively creating an industry um, – giving people, many people, opportunities to shine, um, made the, the industry a profession in some respects um, and brought it respectability from uh, where it was then to where it is now very much uh, um, a, a, a seat around boardroom tables. And I, I, I think that Tim Bell's clarity of thought, wisdom um, was very much behind that Revolution. I mean, it was a revolution. It burst onto the scene, really, in the 1990s. Um, and, and, and he was at the forefront of it. And yes, it's a terrible shame that the company that he left behind got involved in, in this. But I have to say, I left that company, uh, nothing to do with the scandal. I left that company because it wasn't really doing PR. And I wanted to do PR. Right. And I felt that I needed to go somewhere else to do what I was good at and what I enjoyed the most. Okay. We'll include a link to the, the interview I did with, with um, Tim Bell, uh, which goes into detail uh, around Bell Potgate, as it sort of seems to be, <laughs> seems to be known these days. Um, uh, and I think we'll probably leave it there because mm. it, it, it does it, – the devil is in the detail in that story and uh, it's all there in mm. that podcast. Um, but just to finish on it, the – as an ex-employee, uh, well, how did you see it? As, as you sort of sort of saw that scandal unfold, what were you? Well, what was in your mindset? I, I had been long gone, fourteen years out, uh, running my own business, being very happy and and, and doing what I love, and um, I started receiving uh, direct tweets, which were very very unpleasant, and I had no idea why. I was suddenly receiving these horrible messages on Twitter. And um, I sort of tracked it back and I realized that it was because um, of this scandal that was unfolding at the time. And I had on my Twitter handle, former chief executive of Bell Pottinger Public Relations. And I had had that on my Twitter handle because I was immensely proud to have been the chief executive of Bell Pottinger Public Relations and to have had a, a, a career there lasting more than a decade where I learned so much and benefited so much. And 
I was immensely proud of that. And it's an enormous tragedy um, for me and for the industry and I'm sure for countless other people who, who cut their teeth at Bellpot that that, that that name is now so so tainted. I think yeah. it's a, an awful shame. Sure. Um, so moving on, you you left Bellpot Juicy in 2004. Um, what was it that, that made you decide to set up your own firm? Well, oh, and, and indeed leave. You touched on that. Yeah, I mean, essentially what, what had happened um, to me was that I, I – it sounds a little bit immodest, but I – become rather good at doing PR. And um, in many large companies, what happens is that you you get really, really good at doing something. And so they promote you into a job that you don't know anything at all about. And um, I was promoted into a job that I didn't know anything at all about. I was promoted from being a PR man to being the chief executive of of, of the public relations wing of the of the um, of the Bell Pottinger Company. And um, it was very nice. I, I, had, I had just turned 40. I just had my first child. And suddenly, chauffeur-driven cars and marvellous things came with being the chief executive of Bell Pottinger. It was wonderful. But I tried really hard to keep some of the clients that I was working with uh, under my wing. And it became impossible. There was just too much to do. And so I had to become a manager. And I didn't like being a manager at all. I didn't really care how many days people had on holiday or didn't have on holiday. And worst of all, I really didn't like having to um, fire people. And um, it was pretty horrid. And so, frankly speaking, after two years, I think it was, or 18 months, I said to Tim Bell, I really, really don't like this. And um, he said, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult. What are we going to do with you? You know, you're that senior now. And I said, well, you know, if I don't fit, I don't fit. I'll go. I'm quite happy not to go, not, not to be here doing a job I don't want to do. I want to do PR. That's what I like doing. And, um, and so I left. Right. Um, and you set up the PR office. Um, which was, a, 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 in the benefit of hindsight, it's a nice name. I suspect it fitted just as well at the, at the time. Well, uh, it's a great name. I love it. Um, and um, uh, the secret or the story is very simply, I was sitting with my accountant um, after I'd left Belpont. So it was between the sort of Christmas and New Year period. And we were talking about how do we get going and set up a company and open a bank account and things like that. And uh, he said, the first thing you got to do is get a name. Uh, and I said, well, it's got to have PR in it because I love PR. And I was fed up in the Bell Pottinger days, actually, of getting into taxis um, on the Bell Pottinger communications account and taxi drivers thinking that we were a mobile phone company. Um, I wanted PR in the name because that's what I enjoy doing and that's what I adore. So uh, it had to have that in the name. And I um, I was a great fan in those days of Ricky Gervais's TV show, The Office. And I said to Sam, my accountant, go on, just see. I mean, it's probably not available. And he Googled PR office and the PR office, and they were both available. So we bought them for about £50, I think, yeah. and registered the domain names. And um, we are – and it works and because, of course, it says does what it says on the tin, and it's uh, very well, seamless. It just gets – but it goes back to my next – oh, sorry. It goes, it's a nice bridge to my next question where – at the time, a huge change for the sector, um, and in in some ways, we're all in danger of tying ourselves in knots trying to trying to decide what public relations is these days. You're very clear on it, aren't you? Just, just talk me through. I, I'm very how clear you on see... it, and, and I, I agree that the the um, the medium of getting that message across has changed Im- Im- immeasurably over over the certain 
period that I've been involved in the industry. But it's no really, it's not really any different from what it always was. It is about relating to the public. It's that simple, I think. Now there are different ways to relate to the public. In the old days, you know, you'd, you'd uh, write a press release, you'd send it and make a couple of phone calls, then go out to lunch and sometimes come back and sometimes not. And anyway, by four o'clock, the news, newspapers were done, the news bulletins were finished, you can go home. Yeah. Now it's 24 7. But it's still about getting that message across. It's just a different using social media, uh, um, uh, um, online media is just a different way. And and I I remember very clearly in the end of the 1990s, uh, everybody saying, you know, it's the end of the world. You know, um, newspapers are finished and uh, TV's finished. I think that's when Sky had created their... um, um, uh, you know, you could choose whatever you wanted to watch whenever you wanted. So, so, so scheduling was finished. It was all over. It was all history. And I kept saying to people, I just don't believe that to be the case. I think people like uh, reading newspapers. They like reading magazines. And, and actually, the people that we're talking to, our clients, they want to be in the newspapers. Now, today, they want to be in the newspapers means they want to be in the media, whatever sort of media it is. But if you go along to Selfridges, which I still think is the largest news agent in the country, yeah. may not be any longer, but if you do know. go down to the basement there in Selfridges and you look to see how many newspapers, magazines and journals there are in the world, those people who said it was all over, just it's not all over. Hard copy media is really very important. People love it. It's very strange. You know, we have a, a, a lot of real estate business. And uh, that we, we, a couple of months ago, there was a deal that was done. And it was a, a fabulous deal. We thought it was a fabulous deal. It wasn't the biggest deal in the world, but it was a fabulous deal. And um, um, it got a sort of really lead piece on the, um, um, I think it was Estates Gazette Online, um, EGI, Estates Gazette Interactive Online. And um, anyway, it didn't make it into the magazine. So I, I remember saying to the client, I said, look, it's fantastic news, absolutely fantastic. You know, we got the uh, lead story on the uh, online things, 360,000 people saw it, and it's amazing. He said, yeah, but I didn't get in the magazine. I said, well, yeah, but only like 18,000 people see the magazine, so what? He says, no, I want to be in the magazine. So <laughs> you, you have to sell things. You have to sell what people want to buy. And if uh, somebody wants to buy being in a hard copy glossy magazine, that's what you have to sell. Okay. Um, just... Uh, but but when we're looking at, at the different – because I agree with your broad principle. Um, but then when you look at, uh, I don't know, paid media and media, or, 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 where, do you, where do you approach that particular element of it? So are you, you know, within social media, are you, are you, are you um, a believer in, 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 in it has to be earned to be powerful? Or is there a, a crossover with the, the integration into paid media? Or, or do you still see it in that broad, very simplistic way? I do see it in, 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 in a very simplistic way. I see that uh, the triangle has been inverted. Um, it used to be uh, – society used to be based on the, on, 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 on the top-down principle. Um, people told us what to do and we did it. Um, uh, that's that's how it used to be. You used to get these public information ads on TV telling you what to do and what to eat and when to eat it. Um, you don't have that any longer. What you do have now is the inverted triangle where, they, where, where the people on the street form opinions. And so you have to be in tune with the people on the street because they're the ones who form opinions. You know, I, I was saying to somebody uh, now, uh, we, we're doing a lot of work with um, uh, Camden uh, Market. And uh, I said to somebody this morning at, at, at Camden, I said, you know, it's fantastic what, what's happening. It's a complete amazing regeneration. My children spend a lot of time here on weekends. They absolutely love it. Funnily enough, it was, in my time, the first lie you told your parents. 
when you were coming to London, I'm not from London, when you were coming to London, the first lie you told your parents was, no, 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 of course I'm not going to Camden. Because it was a <laughs> horrid place then. Right? But now it's all about the buzz. The children are telling us that that is a great place to go, great place to eat, great place to shop. So it, you know, it's just a little example of, of, of how the triangle has been inverted. And that's why you have to be in touch with the way in which opinions are being formed. You can see it from last week's um, um, extin- extinction, extinction Rebellion demonstrations. Um, you know, here are all these public affairs people telling you how special it is and how secret it is and how who you've got to know and how you've got to get to speak to a lobby to uh, I and mean, you've got to fill in a form. And now there's a register of, of, of consultant lobbyists. And, you know, dare you come into contact with anybody? You've got to fill in all these forms. Or whatever. A bunch of people went and sat on Waterloo Bridge. And what's happened a week later? They're sitting this afternoon in front of the Secretary of State for the Environment discussing policy. Mm-hmm. So it's all changed. It's all about how the people. So you have to be in touch with that. So it isn't a question of um, paid media is good or not good. It is a question of being able to integrate all of that stuff. But the simplicity of it is know who you're talking to, understand how they receive messages and get on that train. Right. And it doesn't it doesn't matter whether it's paid, earned or whatever. It's, it's, I, it's about I, take. It's about the yeah where you, where you are and where you need to get to. I think so. You see, the, you see, there's the same thing with advertising, and, and I know it's not my field at all. But the way in which advertising has changed, it isn't any longer experts telling you what to do. It's people that you admire eating a bowl of something. And so you think, well, if it's good enough for Samo, it's good enough for me. That's what you do. Mm. But that, in, a, in a way, it's always been a bit like that, isn't it? It's just in a different – it used to be on a TV ad and now it's on Instagram. Well, yes, but, maybe. The, you, but, but, but it's changed because you used to have sort of public information films telling you to drink a pint of milk a day. It yes. wasn't suggesting that you should because it was a cool thing to do. It was no. telling you to do it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we should bring them back. They were quite cool, weren't they? <laughs> um, now, one of the, the throwaway lines um, in our pre-show chat was, um, you, you said at the PR office, you outsource as much as possible, and I quote, um, I quite like that as a mantra. Um, but there's always that danger that, that you sort of lose control or, or uh, without sourcing various different things within your business. But it, obviously it seems to work for you guys. J- just talk me through why you outsource as much as possible and, and what you end up outsourcing. So... When I decided to set up my own business, um, I, I had um, uh, some interesting reactions. Um, my wife sort of thought I was completely star raving mad. We had three children under the, under the age of three, and I was leaving <laughs> a very well-paid job of my own accord. Yeah. Um, but my dad, who is currently 92 years old and a very, very wise man, said to me, look, if that's what you want to do, just know what you're not very good at which I think is an incredible message, and it's a message that I live by. I am good at PR, I think. I must be in some respects because clients pay me to do it. I have a fabulous team, and we work very well in delivering that. I am not a property manager. I'm not an HR person. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a bookkeeper. I'm not an invoicer. I I don't know about any of those things. And so outsource them. There are better people than me to do those things. That leaves me with doing what I love and I'm passionate about it and I have now all the time of the day to do PR for my clients. But what you don't do is hire an HR manager or an, or an FD, if you see what I mean. You outsource it. Outsource which is, it. I'm just quite intri- interested. It's basically because you, 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 you write a check each month and someone takes that problem away. Absolutely. It's, right. it's sort of paying to make the problem go away. It, okay. it, 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 and, and rather than – I mean, there is one remove from it. I mean, you know, you know what happens in, in, in very large law firms? They, they, they sort of tell you how many fee earners there are. It's an f- interesting phrase, fee earners. Mm. And you think, well, okay, so you're the fee earners and all these other people are not 
not fee earners. So you're paying. Everyone else is overhead. Them. Yes. <laughs> well, I didn't like that. I didn't like the idea of having lots of people in the office who are not fee earners. Yeah. Absolutely every single one of the, the people who has a, 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 a seat, and some of us have standing desks now, but has a space at the PR office. Every one of those people is a fee earner in some respects. It's interesting. One of my jobs, I went, I went to develop that. I've always been a, a sort of fee earner, so to speak, mm. throughout my career. And, and one of my jobs, I was an overhead. And it was it sort of it dawned on me after I got the job that I was suddenly an overhead. I didn't like it. I did not. I, I wasn't. Uh, and it was a very nice company and lovely people, but it didn't. It, I just didn't feel quite right being well, an overhead. I, I had the same in, in my experience with, with in my previous company where I, there were a lot of people who were overheads. And it wasn't right or fair, but there was very much in us and them. You know, mm-hmm. if you had a meeting of uh, management meeting of something and, and, and one of the overheads said something. <laughs> I know, it's awful, really. But, you know, you do, you, people would sort of sneer at it, really, because at the end of the day, I was earning the money to pay for it, so you don't really have a say. And I didn't I didn't like it. I didn't think it was right. And I, I okay. wanted to So it's a cultural element as well. So, you, you, actually, so there's a cultural thing that actually, they're in a different, they're a different company. Yes. So everyone within the peer office is on an equal, equal. fee-earning Flat footing. Flat structure, right, fee-earners, everybody has that same value. Okay. We, and and, and the, the outsourced people, whether it's accountant or HR, all of these people who who play a very important role within the company, but they are seen in a in, in, in a different way and they're not part of the core business, which is PR. And can that be, you know, your business is, is what, two and a half million. Mm-hmm. Can, can that be scaled indefinitely, that outsourcing I, model? I, or does it I believe limit? so. Look, I think if you look around to see what's happening in the world, you've got all sorts of interesting people creating all sorts of interesting things and changing the way people are working. It used to be... Um, you have to have an office. Um, And it used to be you have to have an office and it has to be in a certain part of London. Um, And and that isn't the case anymore. You don't have to have an office anymore. Um, You can work from home. You can work remotely. You can do all these. Now, we we have a sort of policy, which is work from home Fridays. I was very sceptical at first. I thought that it would be... uh, sort of it would turn things into a four-day week and it would make Thursday afternoon like Friday afternoon and I wasn't really very in favour of it but I have to say I've completely changed my mind things have changed it gives people a different outlook it gives people a an opportunity to get out and about at the same time as doing their work and you know I'm traveling all the time I I can be in uh, I mean I I almost forget the number of countries I've been in since the beginning of the year but um, clients don't even have to know where you are because you're communicating the whole time so work is changing uh, whether it's offices or or how you communicate and I think the idea of having static accountants and static receptionists and departments for all of these things I think a lot of that's changing as well and I think one has to embrace that change uh, whether it's with technology or whether it is with a different working practices. Right. Just want to explore um, you, you mentioned earlier that um, the idea that uh, well, you put it nicely, but when you, when you got promoted um, to, to, to uh, managing director, Bell Pottinger, um, you got you got good at something, i.e., PR, um, and then you got promoted to a job you knew nothing about. Um, that, I, that is not the first time I've heard that type of comment within public relations, and I, I actually suspect this is probably true in in most professions, but. Um, the one you and I happen to work in is public relations, so let's let, let's let's centre on that. Um, are there ways that PR firms can structure themselves so that is less of a problem? Are there ways that um, firms can train their people better so that, that becomes less of a jump? 
Well, I'm quite sure there are. Um, but let's look at how other professions have tried all of that. So take law firms. Mm. Um, law firms were getting bigger. They were changing the regulations and they had to be managed. And it became quite apparent that the old way of managing a law firm by taking a lawyer who um, uh, was appointed the managing partner, that was changing. And law firms were appointing from outside the industry. They were appointing chief executives to run the business of their law firm. Now, I'm quite sure somebody could stop being a lawyer and be trained to be a manager or a chief executive and run a law firm. But that isn't what's happening in law firms. What's happening is that highly paid professionals are being brought in to run those law firms. So, of course, you can quite clearly change from being a PR man to being a, a manager or a chief executive or, a, 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 or whatever other role that you want. But you have to recognize that, that is a change in your role. And you may or may not be good at it. You may or may not be good at it. And absolutely. And it may be better and much more cost efficient to bring in people who know how to run a business and let the people get on with doing the business. It's two different things. Can you be as good a chief exec of a law firm if you've never practiced law? Well, I think there are... If you've never practiced public relations. I think there are some really good examples, certainly in the legal profession, um, where they've brought in people from outside the law to become chief executives of those firms and those firms are flying. Mm. Uh, and I think it doesn't mean that the, the lawyers aren't involved in the strategy, but it does mean that they're not involved in the implementing of that strategy. Right. So there's the, 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 that chief executive hand on the tiller type role. As, well, that's, as, uh, as... I, I think it's just changed. I, look, I remember a time not that long ago, actually a couple of years ago, where, where a real estate client of mine said to me, you know what, you should buy that building. Why would I want to buy that building? He said, well, you can buy that building, you can move in, you can rent the two floors above and um, uh, you could do this. And I thought, oh, what a marvellous idea, fantastic. And we went through the whole idea of, you know, should we, shouldn't we buy a building? And um, I was telling my dad, who's actually in property, that's, uh, that's how he uh, made his living. And um, he said, I told you, I told you, just know what you're not very good at. And we didn't buy the building. And it was the best thing we could have done. Really? It's yeah. not worth 20 million now. And you're it may well have been worth 20 million now. It. And that's all very nice. That's what everybody would think about. But what you might not think about is the 2008 when your tenants on the second, third and fourth floors might have all gone bust. And you were there paying everything off without any income coming in. That might right. have happened too. So you might have gone bust in yeah. the meantime. Yeah, right. And it's one thing to go bust because you make a mess of your PR business. Yeah, it's another right. thing to go bust because you've made a mess of your property but, dealings. Uh, well, there's a lot of, you know, there are a, a long and, I was going to say undistinguished, but actually quite distinguished list of PR firms who in effect became property businesses because they moved into too, too big, too inexpensive offices, lost a few clients, uh, and the pinch point comes pretty quick. Um, well, a lot of people think it's very easy to make money in property and... Um, uh, you know, I grew up in a household of, of, of people who, who made money in property and happily. Um, we have a number of clients who made a lot of money in property. We have a number of clients who lost a lot of money in property. <laughs> and um, it's not easy. It's not simply as just buying a building and, 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 and hoping. It's um, much more complicated. And I did see that at, at uh, particularly at the end of the 1990s where, where people were acquiring businesses and all of these businesses had, had offices. Yeah. And so you had to look at the, the, the property contract and the lease contract and how, how that was working. Whereas today it's different because you have short-term leases, you have co-workers. Sometimes you do. Different. Some, I mean, funnily enough, we had Scott Wilson in um, from right. Colin Wolf, mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is no secret. He, he said it on the podcast. A lot of the decisions about which offices and which mm -hmm. regions were 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 um, merged between Burson and Conan Wolf 
were managed by by the lease on the on the various different properties yeah. within yeah. the different geographies. Yeah. Um, which you know kind of brings it home to, to, to where we are now, doesn't it? Um, I just finally just talked to me about the, the plans for PR office. Um, you guys have have done a good job at working in or not becoming too specialist within a, a one specific sector. You, you've got a nice range of, um, of of verticals that you work in. I presume that's something you you, you want to continue. Well, absolutely. I I, I really don't like the idea of people being pigeonholed into any one particular sector. I don't believe it's necessary. Um, I, uh, re- I remember when I first joined Bell Pottinger, my, my uh, most important client was a, uh, a shipping firm called P&O. And um, it was uh, one of Britain's greatest companies, and I was very proud to work on that. And I had a contact at the Sunday Times, a man called John Harlow, uh, who was the transport correspondent, very, very nice man. And uh, he and I would communicate all the time. We talked very regularly. And uh, one day, John phoned me up and said, look, um, there's been a bit of a shift around on the Sunday Times, and um, I moved off to um, 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 entertainment. And I thought, oh, that's all right, because one of my other clients at Bell Pottinger is the really useful group. And it became obvious to me that if journalists can hop around from different uh, specialists, as long as specialism, as long as they know how to write, um, then PR people can as well. So I didn't like to be put into any one place. Does it make you a better PR professional if you don't specialise? I, I wouldn't or? make that sort of judgment as okay. better, better or not better. But I think that if you're in real estate and all you read are the real estate magazines, then you have a very narrow outlook on life. Um, and I think the way in which we've built our business, which is around uh, the disciplines rather than the sectors. So we, we work in professional services. We have lots of different professional services clients. We have a voluntary sector community clients. We have a lot of different charitable clients from char- in the charity sector from um, – uh, small charities, small special needs charities, but, but your to, to people large ones. don't just work in one of they those. Don't, they don't. They work They deliberately work across because them. it's about media relations. It's about communicating. It's about message development, and all of those things are relevant. And they have to work across. It's very important for for, for me to see that they're working across. The skills are absolutely transferable. You are not meant to be an expert in the airline industry. That's what the client is meant to be. You're meant to be an expert in communicating their messages. Shimon, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.